Welcome to this week's message from Rabbi Kevin Solomon, Senior Rabbi of Congregation Beth Hillel in Roswell, Georgia. Beth Hillel is one of the largest Messianic Jewish synagogues in the world and provides a place where Jewish people can find the Messiah, Yeshua, Jesus in Hebrew, and retain their Jewishness. It's also where Gentiles worship and embrace the roots of the faith in drawing closer to God. Click the link in the description to support this ministry or to view our YouTube channel. Let's join Rabbi Kevin now as he shares this word from Scripture. You know, in this season, of course, that we're in right now, uh, it probably goes without saying, much of the world celebrates the birth of Yeshua. And, uh, and I say much of the world, and al- although surely it's not a, a, a biblical uh, or traditional Jewish holiday, uh, there's nothing wrong with celebrating the fact that a, the Savior of the world has come. That is, that is something to, to celebrate. I'm not talking about all the commercialism or the paganism and all that stuff, but being joyful that our atonement has come strikes me as something being worthy of rejoicing about. I mean, that, that's, that's a good thing. I don't care how you slice it. That is a good thing, my friends. So even though yeah, Christmas itself may not be our expression, we stand with our Christian brothers and sisters across the world in this season, and because for them it has great meaning, and we certainly understand why. We certainly understand why uh, as we're celebrating the birth uh, or they are celebrating the birth of Messiah. We, of course, we know that the birth actually probably took place around the time of Sukkot uh, in the fall. But, you know, listen, I don't think that, uh, I don't think that Yeshua is bothered by a happy belated birthday. Uh, <laughs> you know, at least he's getting some recognition in the world of ours today. And so that's, that's a beautiful thing. Uh, at the same time, for me, and this is going to be an interesting and a little bit of a different message, for me, at the same time, it's meaningful to recall that the critical context around Yeshua's birth is almost always overlooked in the traditional narrative that we hear. Of course, all during this season, we always hear about the narrative of Yeshua's birth and really everything that kind of goes along with it. We always hear the story from the being announced to Miriam to, to the star uh, in, in the east, right? To it being in, in Bethlehem and the, and, and the manger and the baby born and the shepherds and the shepherds coming and the, the magi coming. These are the traditional elements all around the birth, and each of them are kind of told in great detail whenever we talk about, and whenever you hear, actually it's spoken of, about the narrative of Yeshua's birth and this baby child that comes. And, uh, and that's all very true, and it's all very relevant, and is all very valid. However, uh, it, it's, it's important to look at the, at the context that's almost always overlooked in this narrative, and it's really, in many ways, 
the rest of the story, okay, specific just to the birth and, and around the time that Yeshua is a baby. Uh, and I'm referencing the fact that Yeshua's birth is one of those times where you can clearly, unequivocally see Yeshua's connection to his Jewish people. And yet that, of course, is very much never spoken of or even referenced. And in fact, the things revolving around the time of his birth that are so clearly in Scripture are, are, are just kind of like uh, pushed away as, as not important and not even mentioned. In fact, many people don't even know about them in any way, shape, or form. Why is this important? Why is it important to understand uh, the narrative of Yeshua's birth according to the, the Brit Hadashah, the New Covenant, and its connection to Yeshua uh, to his Jewish people. Why is this so, so critically important? Really, for a couple of reasons. First of all, for my Jewish brother or sister, it is of great importance. It's critical in that it signifies the undeniable fact that Yeshua is Jewish, and therefore, if Yeshua is Messiah of anyone, he is the Messiah of the Jewish people. That is very important to under. That's one of the important reasons to understand the the whole Jewish context that's oftentimes left out of the narrative of Yeshua's birth, and it's also important to Gentile people in that, as Petra Washington famously said, you can't just take Yeshua's divinity; you also have to embrace his humanity. Because God came, Emmanuel, right? God with us, all God, all man, right? He came through the Jewish people. And a greater understanding of Yeshua's Jewishness will give you a greater understanding of your God. After all, he's the one who's decided to do it this way. It was his choice. He didn't have to go this route. This is what he chose. And also, for my non-Jewish brother or sister, it should give you a special love for the Jewish people. Why? For if God chose this people to bring his son, and if you want to have the heart of God, then you should also desire a deep and meaningful love for the Jewish people. So you should see and desire this connection because it brings us all together and it brings the full picture of the story so that we're not just seeing it a part of the way, if you will. So we're gonna dig into this fairly deeply today in the limited time that we have. And this Shabbat's message, Cam, is much more of a teaching than a preaching. We're just going to dig in. I want for you to be informed, though, so you can better understand your God and this story. And so we're going to just look at this uh, and, and, and bring out some things around the story uh, during the during and, and soon after the time of Yeshua's birth that is never spoken of, generally speaking, in, in the narrative uh, with the famous stories that we all see around this time of year, but are critical. And for some strange coincidence, all of the things that are not spoken about around the time of Yeshua's birth, all the things not spoken about are the things that so clearly connect him most with his Jewishness. What a coincidence. Genesis chapter 17 in the Torah. Please, Genesis chapter 17 Let's, let's read one of the commandments of God when he was starting the Jewish people. He was starting the Jewish people through Avraham Avinu, Abraham our father, right? And, and as he was starting 
the Jewish people through Abraham, he decided to make a covenant with Abraham and with his descendants forever. And there would be an important sign of the covenant. Let's read in Genesis chapter 17, starting in verse 9. God also said to Avraham, Abraham, as for you, my covenant, you must keep you and your seed after you throughout your generations. That means forever. This is my covenant that you must keep between me and you and your seed after you. All your males must be circumcised. You must be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin, and this will become a sign of the covenant between me and you. It is a sign of the covenant between God and Abraham, and by extension, a sign of the covenant between God and the Jewish people. Circumcision is, is an important key sign of the covenant. It's a tie. It is a bond. It is a symbol of the covenant and the eternal covenant that God made specifically with the Jewish people. Of course, in the story of Yeshua, this is never spoken about. Now listen, I guess from some perspective, I can understand this. Listen, you, you got the nativity scene, you got the little play there with all the little kids, and, and there's the baby born in the manger, and then there. <laughs> Then you got somebody going, okay, here it comes. It's like, ah, the kids go, oh, everybody. You listen, in a real, I've been to plenty of brit milah, you know, uh, of, of, of circumcisions. And uh, gosh, you know, it's, it's, it's tough, especially for the moms. You know, the moms tend to go, oh, yeah, yeah. And they kind of go in the other room a little bit and just uh, the baby cries for just. So I can understand for some perspective, but it's never, ever spoken. But truthfully, circumcision is critical to Judaism critical. In fact, a boy is to be circumcised even if it is on Shabbat. That tells you how significant circumcision is. It even it should be done even if it's Shabbat on the eighth day. That tells you how important it is. God says it is a sign of the covenant between God and the Jewish people. So if Yeshua were to take on circumcision, that is a sign that he is entering from his humanity into that covenant. He is connected. He is part of the Jewish people as a descendant of Abraham. So what do we read? I'm glad you asked. Luke chapter 2, please. Luke chapter 2. Never generally referenced. Luke chapter 2, starting or rather in verse 21, it says very explicitly about Yeshua. When eight days had passed for his brit malah, or circumcision, he was named Yeshua, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Now, Brit, of course, uh, Brit, Brit or Brit uh, means covenant, sort of like the Brit Chadashah, which means the new covenant or renewed covenant, depends upon your translation there. So as commanded in the Torah, Yeshua was circumcised, Brit Malah, the the covenant of circumcision, was circumcised on the eighth day as commanded in the Torah. This is of huge significance, my friends. You know, we celebrated Hanukkah recently. You remember we we, we sang the songs. It was a lot of fun with Hanukkah. Well, one of the reasons... One of the reasons that the Maccabees revolted uh, uh, against the, uh, the Syrian Greek Empire was because Antiochus prohibited circumcision. Mm-hmm. This, see, this has great depth and significant meaning amongst the Jewish people because it's a sign of the covenant. And, and that was trying to, excuse the expression, 
cut that off. <laughs> okay, that was bad. I'm sorry. I apologize. Uh, it meant that Yeshua, being circumcised, was coming into the covenant of Abraham. And this is particularly remarkable. Oh, think about this for a second. There's a beauty to this. You'll see it, and it's going to, it's going to like, oh, wow, I, that's so neat. It's particularly remarkable since one of the purposes, one of the purposes of the covenant that God made with Abraham was so that the Jewish people would be the vehicle that God would use to bring the Messiah. That was one of the purposes of the covenant that God made with Abraham. So when Yeshua says, Oh boy, come on now, get ready. You, you, this thing is just going to blow up and, and, and become so clear. So when Yeshua says he came not to destroy the law, but to fulfill it, it rings even more true here. Because destroying, mm, listen to me now, destroying the law would eliminate the foundation upon which Yeshua lays claim to his Messiahship. He came literally not to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. He is fulfilling part of the role of the Jewish people as symbolized, the symbol of the covenant is circumcision, right? Which he partook in. And so he was the one who was fulfilling part of this national call of the Jewish people, namely to bring the world salvation. Salvation in Hebrew is? That's right, Yeshua. Yeshua in Hebrew means salvation. Oh my gosh, which is what he was named at his Brit Milah. That's the official naming. At his Brit Milah. We read about it right there. At his Brit Milah, at the covenant of circumcision, which was a sign of the covenant that God made Abraham, that, that he would establish his covenant with the Jewish people and the Messiah would come from the Jewish people, that's when he was given the name salvation. Oh my gosh, that's some beautiful stuff right there. That's some stuff you don't usually hear about regarding the birth story, but very powerful, very powerful. Another tasty tidbit that's oftentimes left out of the, the narrative, of course, is the fact that he was born in Bethlehem. Bethlehem, you know, our, the name of our Kahila congregation is House of Praise. It's called House of Praise. And uh, Beth means house. Beit, Beit Hallel, Beth, Beth means house, Hallel means praise, like hallelujah, we say hallelujah, uh, which means praise the Lord. That's actually a, a Hebrew expression, hallelujah, right? So Beth Hallel means house of praise, Beth Lahem, or Beit Lahem means house of bread. You know when we say the Hamotzi, Hamotzi Lechem, 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 bread, Beth Lechem, Bethlehem. He was born, the bread of life was born in the city of bread, Bethlehem. That's such a beautiful thing that just comes clear when you think about the birth of Yeshua. And if there needs to be further clarity on the fact that Yeshua was indeed a Jewish baby and, uh, and Messiah, and that his coming does not dispose of the Torah, the Torah, we see that his family soon after also does other things that we read about in the Torah. We read about the Pidyon Haben, for example, and I'm going to bring up a couple of different examples. 
what I'm going to share with you now are a couple things that, that we read about in the Torah that, that moms and parents are supposed to do around the time of the birth of children, depending on if it's a boy or a girl, if it's a firstborn or not, we'll talk about this, that are required in the Torah. But what's never spoken of is that Miriam and Yosef, Mary and Joseph, they did this with Yeshua just as commanded in the Torah. Uh, and, and of course, that therefore meaning that he and his coming does not dispose of Torah and because we, we see his family doing things we read about specifically in the Torah. So the Pidyon Ben is the redemption of the firstborn. Originally, you know, if you go back to, to the, the time of the Exodus uh, and originally when God formed the, the tribes, God's original intent was for the firstborn of all the tribes to be dedicated to God as priests. So in our, in our synagogue, we've got 12 stained glass windows, the 12 tribes of Israel. And they're in birth order here as they go. And, uh, and, and the, the original intent was every family, because they had big families back then, right? The very firstborn was to be designated as a priest. That was the original intent. But however, at the golden calf, you remember the golden calf. We don't like talking about that in Judaism. What happened? The Levites, the tribe of Levi, which is my, my third window over there, the thirdborn, the, the Levites... Uh, uh, all stood up for God when, when the other tribes, went. the Levites all stood up for God. So God said, okay, then the Levites said, I'm going to take them and said, they're going to be my priests. They're going to replace the firstborn of the other 11 tribes. But in order to affect this, the firstborn of the other 11 tribes was to redeem their firstborn. Redeem, Numbers chapter three talks about this at great length, to redeem their firstborn. In other words, to, to, to pay uh, the Levites essentially to take the place of their firstborn as priests so that their firstborn did not have to serve as a priest, but yet uh, the Levites indeed would. Numbers chapter 18 says this, just to give you some context here. Numbers 18 verses 14 to 16 speaks about this. Every devoted thing in Israel is yours. The first offspring of the womb from all flesh, first offspring, firstborn, whether human or animal, Offer it to Adonai is yours. However, you are to redeem the firstborn of man and the firstborn of unclean animals. When they are a month old, you are to redeem them at the redemption price of five shekels of silver by the sanctuary shekel or 20 gerah. Okay, so keep this in mind. We're gonna, I told you we're going to be digging a little bit deep here today. So once uh, the firstborn are a month old, an offering of five shekels is to be made to the priest. So you go to the priest and you are to give them five shekels of uh, silver in, in redemption for your child for essentially them taking the place as priest of your child. Okay, let's keep this in mind for just a second. We're going to come back to the Pinyon Ben, redemption of the firstborn. There's something else that has to be done around the time of birth. In addition, the mother of a male child completes her purification just over a month after the time of the birth. We pick this up in the Torah also, Leviticus chapter 12. Let's take a look at this. This is, this is all connected to the story of Yeshua, and it's just never spoken of, although it's, it's critical in the whole narrative that we read about actually in the Scriptures. Uh, in the New Covenant, Leviticus chapter 12, starting in verse 6, says this. 
Talking about a new mom, when the days of her purification are completed for a son or for a daughter, she is to bring to the Kohen, the priest, at the entrance to the tent of meeting, tabernacle or temple, a year-old lamb for a burnt offering and a young pigeon or a turtle dove for a sin offering. He is to present it before Adonai to make atonement for her. Then she will be cleansed from her discharge of her blood. This is the Torah for her or the law for her, who gives birth, whether to a male or female child. If she cannot afford a lamb, then she is to bring two turtle doves or two young pigeons, one for a burnt offering and another for a sin offering. Then the Kohen will make atonement for her and she will be clean. Okay, this is interesting. So we see here that when a child is born, a burnt offering must be made whenever a child is born. Uh, As a side note, there are a few reasons for this purification. One is because of the significance in the scripture of blood, which is not talked about very often in today's society, but it's the purpose of Yeshua's coming to offer his blood as an atonement. But blood is life, and, and, and there is a purification required. And also, for cleanliness. This just makes sense, especially back in the days before people understood the need for purification. And finally, of course, it's also to thank God for the new child and to simply ask for forgiveness for her sins. It was a time of purification in every different form and facet for the new mom, including to ask for forgiveness of her sins. Notice that it's said that if she can't afford a lamb, she is to bring Two doves or pigeons is what the scriptures say, right, during this whole time. Now let's pick back up the story of Yeshua in Luke chapter 2. This is after his brit malah. Okay, so he's already had the covenant of circumcision at eight days old, which was a sign of the covenant and a tie back to his Jewish people. But we see yet even immediately thereafter additional ties that Yeshua and his family have to the Torah, the Torah of God, what the scriptures instruct. Remember, they instructed two things after a new birth. First of all, the purification of the mother and the sacrifices. And also, if it was a firstborn, then there would be other things that they had to do, the redemption of the firstborn, with the priests. Okay, both of these things would be done if it was, we know that Yeshua obviously was a firstborn and he was a firstborn male. And so he would have to have both Pidyon Haben and the purification offerings. This is like a double thing from the Torah that we read about in the story, Luke chapter two, verse 22. Check it out. And when the days of their purification were fulfilled, according to the Torah or law of Moses, they brought him, being Yeshua, they brought Yeshua to Jerusalem to present him to Adonai. As it is written in the Torah of Adonai, every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be holy to Adonai. We just talked about all this, right? So they offered a sacrifice according to what was said in the Torah of Adonai, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Wow, we see here an explicit and direct fulfillment of what the Torah requires. Clearly here, we see that Miriam and Yosef, Yeshua's parents, were very, very devout Torah-following Jews. They went to the temple to follow the Torah requirements for their new baby. It's also interesting because... Even in this season, you never, ever hear about any of these things. 
you never hear about Yeshua's Brit Melah, connection to the Jewish people through the covenant of circumcision. Or you never hear about this important sacrifice associated with his birth that was specifically commanded in the Torah for the Jewish people. Or you never hear about his Pidyon Haben, the redemption of the firstborn, as he was a firstborn. All of these things, which were connected to Yeshua, of course, following the Torah uh, for, his, for his Jewish people. But yet all of this stuff occurred when Yeshua was just over a month old and before, chronologically, if you're looking at your time frame, before the wise men came to see him. People always, always look at the, at the nativity scenes and, and they see the shepherds and the wise men there together. They were not there at the same time. We, we, we know this. If, if you read the narrative that the shepherds were there early on, but, but the wise men came later. They came after this part. But yet these things, the Brit Malah, the purification sacrifices, the Pidyon Haben, when he's, when he's dedicated and, and redeemed of the Lord as a firstborn, they're never, ever spoken of in the narrative, even though the Magi come in are later in the story. I wonder why these things are never spoken. I just wonder why. Well, perhaps, <laughs> I say that a little facetiously, perhaps it's because all of these things tie Yeshua to the Torah and to his Jewish identity. All of these things do so crystal clearly. A, Paul, a small postscript on the Pidyon Haben, the redemption of the firstborn. Born. I, I just think this is a beautiful thing and I just wanted to mention it to you because, ooh, it's one of those cool things that you, if you understand it, you go, wow, that's deep. There's so much depth in scripture, you know? And there, but especially around this time of year, here is a, a tasty golden nugget morsel. <laughs> okay, the whole point of the ceremony in the Pedion Haben is the substitution. The substitution, right? Because it was supposed to be the firstborn of the 11 tribes, but no, it's going to be the Levites or the Kohanes. So you substitute the Kohen for the firstborn. And the Pedion Haben still happens today. When, when Tiffany and I had our uh, children, when I, we had our firstborn, we came and we offered a Pidyon Haben offering to a Kohen when we had our firstborn. And, and it's, and it's a, a beautiful and deep ceremony where you, you have the coins and, and it's waved over the child and, and you say, this for that, this for that. It's a substitution. This is done in Orthodox Judaism even today. This for that. Yeshua's role Oh, okay, get ready now. Follow me on this. It's kind of cool. Yeshua's role as priest, as a firstborn, was substituted by the Levites. Yet in the end, of course, Yeshua is our high priest and king, right? But and our high priest. And it was the Levites' choice and, and request. It was their request, the, the, the Levites' request, to have Yeshua die, which was a substitute for all of us. Ooh, that's deep. That's deep. Are you with me on that, right? Because Yeshua's death is substitutionary for us. So essentially, all of us, Jew and Gentile alike, if you are a follower of Messiah Yeshua, he gave us a this for that moment. He gave us, we are all firstborn to him, and, and he took our place. 
He took our place. Even though we all deserve death, he took our place. So there's a substitution that's part of that whole narrative as well. And there's kind of an irony in it, if you will. Okay. But it all had to be, it's very deep, but it all had to be fulfilled in accordance with the Torah. And it was at this critical moment when he is at the temple. Oh, brother, sister, this is, this is worthy of rejoicing and celebrating and shouting Baruch Hashem. Because it was at this very time, these very ceremonies when he was there at the temple between his purif- the purification sacrifices and the Pidyon Haben, it was right in this time period as we read about when he was there, it's the very next verse, when he's there at the temple that something happens that really prophesies and shows something even bigger picture. Luke chapter two, verse 25, continuing in verse 25, says this. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was just and pious. He was a priest. He was in the temple waiting for the consolation of Israel. So this old man was pious. He was waiting for the Messiah. The Ruach HaKodesh was on him. And it had been revealed to him by the Ruach HaKodesh that he would not die before he had seen the anointed one of Adonai. The anointed one is another uh, expression or words for meaning the Messiah. So he would not die before he would see the Messiah. So, verse 27, so in the Ruach, in the Spirit, Simeon came into the temple, and when the parents brought the child Yeshua to do for him according to the custom of the Torah, we just talked about all this, Simeon received him into his arms and offered a bracha, or a blessing to God, saying, now... May you let your servant go in peace, O sovereign master, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the nations and the glory of your people, Israel. Wow, wow. Come on, y'all. Okay, so here it is. At Yeshua's Pedion Haben, that the priest Simeon knows that he would not see death until he saw the Messiah. And so he says two interesting things. First, he says that his eyes have seen God's salvation. Now, of course, this is a clear double meaning here, right? Why? Because Yeshua's name means salvation. So he's saying, I, in Hebrew, he would say, I have clearly seen God's Yeshua. Essentially, he said, I've seen God's salvation, and that was his name. But he was also identifying through this, he was identifying Yeshua as the Messiah. Then, as Isaiah said, and he was referencing Isaiah when he was doing this, then as Isaiah said, Yeshua would be a light for revelation to the nations and the glory of your people Israel. It's an amazing prophecy. Simeon says here that Yeshua would be a light to the nations, uh, in Hebrew, Hagoyim, uh, the Gentiles. He would be a light to the Gentiles. For you Gentiles who are watching or listening here today, this is the first glimpse we have that Yeshua was most explicitly and definitely for you too. It's not really the first glimpse. The first glimpse is going way back because this is a prophecy from Isaiah. Yeshua is very much for you also. How beautiful and how special that is. And of course, this just makes sense, my brother, sister. 
it makes sense that if, if God created the whole universe, that if he's going to send his Messiah, it's going to be for Jew and Gentile. And by the way, my Jewish brother or sister, who's, who, who, who's still not sure if the Messiah has come yet and if it's Yeshua, doesn't that make sense? It only makes sense that our God, the God of the Jewish people, if he's the creator of the universe, as we know he is, of course the Messiah is going to be for the whole world. This just makes sense. But not just the whole world, right? It says a light to the, to the Gentiles, to the nations. But at the same time, Simeon says that Yeshua is the glory of his people, Israel. Wow, wow, how special that is, my Jewish brother or sister. That doesn't sound like a non-Jewish God to me. That's for sure. Finally, uh, in this special time at the temple, Yeshua's family also meets this prophetess named Anna, Anna, right? And Anna, uh, very, very interesting uh, story and narrative. It's at the same time. This is never talked about. This is all part of him being a little baby still, right? And, and, and they've got him in the temple. And at that, at that same time, the very next verse, we hear from Anna, uh, Luke chapter 2, or just a couple verses down, starting in verse uh, 36. It says this, now Anna a daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher, was a prophetess. She was well advanced in age, having lived with a husband only, only seven years and then as a widow until age 84. She never left the temple serving night and day with fasting and prayers. And coming up that very instant, she began praising God and speaking about the child to all those waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Miriam had completed everything according to the Torah of Adonai, they returned to the Galilee, to their own city of Nazareth. Okay, uh, as a small note, and this is a, a quick little side teaching here, don't be deceived by the anti-Semitic error that says that some Christians represent the 10 lost tribes or the Israel stick, and that the Jewish people are only descendants of the tribe of Judah false and anti-Semitic in origin, if you know that whole uh, uh, theology, if you will. It, I have in my notes, it's straight up anti-Semitic hogwash. We know from the scriptures that much of the northern 10 tribes were not exiled away, but intermingled with others brought in. But we also know that some stayed true to God. Some of the 10 northern tribes stayed true to God. Here we are, in the book of Luke, over 700 years later, after the northern tribes were taken off into exile, 700 years later, over, and we have clear proof in the new covenant of Anna from the tribe of Asher, which is one of the 10 northern tribes, clearly identified, and clearly identified as being part of the Jewish people ministering at the temple in Jerusalem, okay? So th this is th that's an important kind of side note here. Be on guard against that. There's some false teaching out there. In any case, Anna here is a prophetess, and she is praising God and proclaiming that Yeshua is what? She is proclaiming to everybody. She's like going around shouting, hey, everybody, this child, this baby, Yeshua, is the redemption of Jerusalem, he is the redemption. Yeshua is the redemption of Jerusalem. And my friends, that's where he'll return. 
That's where he'll return, is, is, is breaking over the eastern skies of Jerusalem. I'm taking a tour to Israel next year. Save your shekels now. The, we're going to be past this pandemic. Please, God, somebody. Okay, uh, October 1st through the 13th of 2021, this coming year, October, first two weeks in October, coming to taking a trip to Israel. You want to plan for it now, uh, and we're going to have a great time over there. You haven't been out of the house in a year. Come on. You, you've saved your shekels. You haven't gone on vacation. Come with me to Israel. It's going to be amazing. Okay. In any case, and then the scriptures tell us that when they completed, talking about Miriam and Yosef, as it says in verse 39, it says, when they completed everything according to the Torah of Adonai, they left. See, it may not be in vogue in today's world during this season to reflect on Yeshua's circumcision spelled out in the Torah, which permanently ties him to his Jewish people, or to reflect on his family giving thanks and offering the purification offerings according to the Torah in Jerusalem, or to note the Pidyon Haben, the redemption of the firstborn that we read about in the Torah. So the story is not some kind of Gentile pagan God story with Sansa in attendance. <laughs> it was, in fact, a remarkably Jewish story. However, it's also revealed at that very time that it is through this little Jewish baby that redemption and salvation will go to all the world, including and explicitly including the Gentiles, the nations. Oh, through him, all can be saved. The title of my message is The Rest of the Story. <laughs> Let's bow our heads. I want to ask if you're watching or listening here today, and you've never said a prayer to receive Yeshua into your heart. If that's you, then why don't you turn your life over to the creator of the world? He came for you. He came for Jew and Gentile alike. If you're Jewish or not Jewish, doesn't make the least bit of difference. All of us have sinned and all of us need forgiveness of our sins. That just makes sense. And so the Moshiach, the Messiah of the world came for Jew and Gentile alike. So if you've never said that prayer to receive Yeshua into your heart, but you'd like to repeat this prayer after me as I say it from wherever you're listening and, and let the Lord touch you. Say, dear God, I humble myself before you. I ask Yeshua to come into my heart. I believe he's risen again, sitting at your right hand. I ask forgiveness of my sins. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Lord. I'll live the rest of my days for you. Thank you, God. I love you. And I appreciate the fact that you came for my salvation. In Yeshua's name. If you said that prayer for the first time, ooh, mm, then salvation has come to your house today. Please send us an email. We want to just encourage you and uplift you and celebrate with you. What a delight it is. And so I say to everyone who is, who is watching and listening here today, thank you. And I thank you, Lord, for sending your son Yeshua into this world uh, as indeed uh, through him, uh, justification comes to the world if we believe upon him. 
And Lord, thank you for bringing him as a fulfillment of that which you told Abraham, that which you told uh, David. Through, through Abraham, all the nations of the world are to be blessed. Boom. Thank you, God, for this. We love you with all of our heart. In the name of the Messiah, Yeshua, in Yeshua's name we ask, amen and amen. What a blessing this has been, a special last Shabbat of the year. Shabbat Shalom. Thank you for listening to this week's message from Rabbi Kevin. Please like, subscribe, and share this link with a friend. We would be grateful to receive your tax-deductible gift to further the good news of Messiah Yeshua. To make a contribution, please click on the PayPal link in the description. Also, to view our regular services, click the link in the description for our YouTube channel. If you would like more information about Yeshua the Messiah or how you can become part of our Bethlehem family, please visit our website at www.bethlehem.org. That's B-E-T-H-H-A-L-L-E-L dot O-R-G. Or call 770-641-3000. If you are in the metro Atlanta area, please visit us for an Arab Shabbat service, Friday nights at 8 o'clock, or Shabbat services, Saturday mornings at 11. God bless and shalom. Nine, 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 nine.